This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to Green Pulse, a podcast series by The Straits Times where we analyze the beats of the changing environment, from biodiversity conservation to climate change. I'm your host Audrey Tan and I cover science and environment for The Straits Times. My co-host is David Fogarty. Hi, I'm David and I'm the climate change editor at The Straits Times. The pandemic has dominated headlines over the past year, but the other crisis threatening the planet, climate change has not gone away, with extreme weather events affecting millions. But 2020 also brought hope that the world is finally stepping up to tackle a crisis that will continue long after the pandemic is gone, with many nations rolling out stimulus plans that are supposed to benefit both the environment and economy. This year, however, will be a key test of the world's resolve. Joining us for today's discussion is Mr. Elden Meyer, a world-renowned expert in climate and energy policy. Elden is a senior associate of E3G, an independent European climate change think tank and is based in Washington DC. Welcome to the show, Elden. Good to be with you. Thanks for joining us, Elden. So, you've been deeply involved in global climate diplomacy for many years, and in fact, you've been to every major UN climate meeting since 1995, is that correct? Well, actually I I started going to the uh, climate negotiations in 1991 when they started in the run up to the Rio Earth Summit in 1992, which of course is where the framework convention on climate change was adopted. And since then I've missed one major meeting in Marrakech in 2001. I stayed in Washington to work on domestic climate legislation, but fortunately the Moroccans were kind enough to host a repeat in Marrakech and I got to go to the COP there in 2016. So just to set the scene a little for our listeners, Why have global climate negotiations been so difficult and so drawn out especially since scientists have for years been calling for urgent action to cut fossil fuel emissions that are heating up the planet? Well, it's a complicated landscape because it affects every human activity, transportation, agriculture, land use, industry, electricity. So, addressing climate change requires bold political action and it requires standing up to very powerful special interests like the coal and the oil and gas lobbies, the electric utilities and others that don't want to see transformational change in their sector. On top of that of course you have decades of mistrust and tension between developed and developing countries over issues such as trade and poverty alleviation development finance assistance and of course those have at times become flashpoints in the negotiations So tell us um, what's your view of 2020 you know we've just been through a pandemic we're still going through it was it a major step in terms of progress in terms of tackling climate change for example what are the key things that you think might have improved the mood such as perhaps major emitters such as China and Japan pledging mid-century uh, net zero targets well that clearly was one of the positive trends towards the end of the year to have Japan and South Korea and China joining other countries that have committed to net zero targets by mid-century was a big move forward but of course that's only the first step they now have to live into those commitments and show that they're prepared to take bold action over the next decade to start to get there because those targets are still 30 years off I would say another bright point towards the end of the year of course was the outcome of the US elections and the prospect that under President Biden and Vice President Harris the United States will come back to the table to help provide leadership in the fight against climate change. On the other side though you have to acknowledge that we really did not see the transformational investments in the COVID recovery packages in most of the G20 major countries by more than a 2 to 1 margin. 
those trillions of dollars of investments have been going to shore up the fossil fuel industry, the airlines, other incumbent industries, not invested in the clean energy technologies that we need to decarbonize the global economy. If we don't reverse that trend in 2021, we could end up locking in tremendous carbon emissions for decades to come that would make it very difficult, if not impossible, to meet the temperature limitation goals in the Paris Agreement. So, Alden, I mean, earlier you mentioned that there are some positive signs on the political front, although the devil's in the details, as you said. But can you just take us through the climate indicators about why action is so urgent now? I mean, I think we have just seen a statement from the World Meteorological Organization that said that 2020 will be one of the three warmest years on record. So just take us through your thoughts on why global action is so crucial now. Well, it's crucial because we are breaking through all kinds of barriers. We're seeing uh, temperature increases of over a degree Celsius above pre-industrial levels. And of course, as the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has made clear, we're in dangerous territory if we exceed 1.5 Celsius degrees uh, increase in temperatures. Uh, So we're coming close to that limit. We are, of course, seeing mounting impacts around the world, whether it's the hurricanes here in the United States, the typhoons in Asia, the wildfires, the droughts, the flooding. Human fingerprints on the climate system are ever more apparent each year we go by. And so this is a crisis that we really have to address as if we were facing an alien threat or a a world war. It requires that kind of bold action if we're going to get ahead of the curve. And as I've said many times over the last few decades, you can't negotiate with the atmosphere. No parliament, no Congress can amend the laws of physics. The atmosphere reacts to what we are putting up into it in terms of human-induced emissions, carbon dioxide, methane, other greenhouse gases. So All the rhetoric, all the pledges, all the treaties in the world don't mean that much if you don't have the action to back them up in terms of dramatically reducing emissions. And just one example, we know now that emissions probably fell on the order of 7% last year globally because of the pandemic and the shutdown in the global economy. And of course, that's not the way we want to address the climate crisis. We want to do it by transforming the economy and driving investments into clean sectors. But the reality is we need to replicate that 7% reduction in emissions every year for the next decade if we're going to have a chance of coming anywhere close to limiting temperature increases to 1.5 degrees. So it's a tremendous challenge that we face. And this year will be a critical one in the run-up to the Glasgow Climate Summit in November to see if politicians are up to that task. Now, if you like what you're hearing so far, do subscribe to our series Green Pulse on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. Like us and give us a rating. So Alden, you did mention the United Nations meeting in Glasgow later this year. So how do you think things are shaping up for climate action ahead of that event? And what do you think the Biden administration and what it can achieve mean for the global discussions? Well, the good news is we have the co-leadership of the United Kingdom and Italy uh, in the run-up to Glasgow. They have uh, ownership of the presidency and the co-presidency of that summit. And of course, the United Kingdom also is chairing the G7 countries summit this year, and Italy is chairing the G20 nations, which include not only the developed countries, but the major developing countries such as China, India, Brazil, and others. So I think the machinery is in place to drive global ambition over the next year in the run-up to Glasgow. 
But again, it's going to require leadership. It's going to require more of the major countries getting on board to the net zero target. It requires shifting the financial flows away from oil, coal, and natural gas and towards clean energy technologies and efficiency. The other thing I think with the Biden administration coming in, the good news is that all of his major cabinet appointments are committed to the fight against the climate emergency whether that's Janet Yellen at the Treasury Department, Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State, the key White House appointments, naming John Kerry to be the special envoy reporting directly to the president on climate change is, I think, a signal of how seriously President-elect Biden, Vice President-elect Harris take this issue. So as I said, it will be good to have the U.S. coming back into the fold. But of course, they've got their hands full here at home dealing with COVID, dealing with the economic crisis, dealing with a still very narrowly divided House and Senate in the Congress. So they are going to have to exert political capital and invest that if they're going to get the kind of transformational change we need here at home and then be able to provide leadership internationally. Yeah, so you mentioned the Glasgow meeting, which is called COP26. So perhaps tell us a little bit more about that in terms of why this gathering is so important and what the meeting aims to achieve or what it's hoped it will achieve. Well, this is an annual summit that's been held every year since 1995. Actually, the first one was held in Berlin, and the president of that first conference of the parties meeting was Angela Merkel, who at the time was the environment minister of Germany. So this is a key moment where nations of the world come together to assess progress, to make commitments, to see what more they can do to take on the climate threat. And this one is particularly important because it's the first stock-taking moment under the Paris Agreement, where we got a deal that every five years, countries would come together and look at what has been done collectively and what more needs to be done and hopefully commit to more progress. So this is really a political deadline for countries to sharpen their pencils, see if they can put more climate ambition on the table as is needed to address the climate threat. It's also where countries of the developing countries are going to be looking to see if the developed nations like the European Union, the US, Japan and others are serious about keeping their end of the bargain in terms of providing climate finance, technology assistance, so that these developing countries can get out of the COVID crisis, get out of the poverty crisis and the economic inequality crisis they're facing and grow their economies in a much more environmentally friendly way than we did here in the North over the last century. That's, I think, another test for Glasgow. And then, of course, you've got to also show youth and civil society and workers around the world that you are going to be bold, you are going to be committed to equity and justice, and you are going to take on the powerful special interests that still in too many countries are holding back progress. So I guess a key test will be whether there's a, a big X or a big tick from Greta Thunberg. Well, I think that'll be one indicator, obviously. Um, youth obviously has been putting a lot of pressure on the system, particularly here in the U.S. and Europe other countries, on their leaders, on their elders to get with the program and take on the climate emergency. And that pressure is essential because, as I said, it's only if politicians think that they're going to be punished if they don't act and they're going to be rewarded by their electorates if they do act, that they're likely to take the action that we need. Now, in terms of big players, of course, they don't get any bigger than China. So, And China, of course, played a key role in the success of the 2015 Paris Climate Agreement. With the new Biden administration, do you think China will again play a key role in, in Glasgow? Well, China is always going to play a big role on this issue. It is the largest emitter of greenhouse gases by far and the world's second largest economy. 
I think the real test for China is will they live into the net zero commitment that President Xi made last September in his opening address to the United Nations General Assembly by taking the action they need in their next five-year plan, by scaling back investments in new coal capacity, both in China and through their Belt and Road Initiative through the rest of Asia? Will they really uh, step up and provide the leadership we need to see? That's going to be somewhat stressed by the tensions between the U.S. and China on trade, security, and other issues that will continue under the Biden administration. Whether those can be managed and cooperation can break out between the U.S. and China again, as it did in the run-up to Paris under the Obama administration, remains to be seen. But that's what we need to push for. You need to have the world's two largest economies, two largest emitters, both working together to have any chance of addressing this crisis. So, Alden, I mean, earlier on, I started off the podcast by saying that 2020 has kind of sent some hopeful signals. But I want to get your opinion on this. Are you hopeful? Are you feeling hopeful that mankind will be able to prevent devastating climate change in the future? Well, I'm hopeful that we're seeing a scaling up of political ambition and will on this issue, particularly at the subnational level. The states, the cities, the businesses, the investors and others, they're way ahead of most of the national governments in really committing to transformational change and saying we can do this. But of course, we are still in a race with time and with the physical climate system. And on that grounds, I think it's already too late to avoid some pretty devastating impacts over the next several decades. It's a question of how severe those impacts are going to be. Can we keep them within the range of being somewhat manageable? But because we've not had the level of action we need over the last 30 years, we're going to pay for that in coming decades in terms of continuing and even increasing climate impacts. But it's worth fighting for every tenth of a degree in temperature increases and trying to limit it as much as we can through a mix of strategies in every sector. And I am hopeful that we're seeing uh, alignment between major players in the finance sector, the business sector, labor, other sectors that we need to come together and push political uh, progress forward. So thank you, Eldon, for your insights and for joining us on our episode today. Thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you, Alden. Well, that's a wrap for Green Pulse and we hope you enjoyed our discussion. For more on climate change and the environment, do check out our stories in The Straits Times. And don't forget to subscribe to our Green Pulse podcast series on your favourite audio apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. That was an SBH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.